so this morning. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 8, so you can turn there. And what you can also do is, once you get there, you can put your finger there, and uh, you can put your other finger in Mark chapter 5. So we'll be in both. So Matthew chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 23 in Matthew chapter 8. And then but also put your finger in uh, Mark uh, chapter 5, because eventually we'll get there. Because they're the same stories, but as you can tell, a couple of different authors. You know, Matthew did one of them, Mark did one of them, and it's the same instance, but I kind of like the way Mark talks about the instance uh, a little bit better than Matthew. He's a little more detailed. And so this morning, we talk about um, some different things that you won't hear every Sunday at church. And I can almost guarantee you that some of the stuff we'll talk about, maybe you've never even heard before in church. It's going to be kind of interesting. Um, I know it was interesting, interesting to me as I was like studying this past week. Um, but the message is really centered around hope. It's really centered around hope, and it's a hope that is within Jesus and within His authority. And authority is a word that I think there's probably more negative connotations than positive. Um, it's almost like uh, the story of uh, the rancher and the water inspector. And uh, you have this rancher has this huge piece of property. And he's got water on his property. See, it's a good sign somebody's already laughing. And he has big piece of property. He's got this water on this piece of property. This water inspector comes out. He says, listen, we want to check the water on your property to make sure it's clean, it's good, you're not polluting it or anything. And Rachel goes, okay. Come on out. You know, check it out. Anything you want, you look at it. Uh, and uh, the rancher goes, but listen, I wouldn't go down over that hill, on the other side of that hill. He's like, you probably don't want to check over there. And so the water inspector guy, you know, takes out his badge, takes out his car, and he says, hey, listen, this says... I can go anywhere I want and check anywhere I want. Rancher goes, all right, fine, you go ahead and check. So the water inspector goes, checks out the whole property. He goes over the hill. Short amount of time goes by. You hear this yelling and this screaming. And then the rancher turns and he sees the water inspector guy running. And then right behind him, you see a huge bull chasing this water inspector. And so the rancher goes, hey, just show him your card. <laughs> right, the guy had like a serious, you know, authority, you know, issue. And we can see in a lot of places, you know, a lot of times mall cops get a little excited and, you know, and they, they even did a movie on that, Paul, Paul Blart, mall cop, and taking advantage, you know, of his quote, quote, authority. There's people in life that actually have authority and you can tell it when they come in the room. It's almost like they command respect, really, when they show up. Like they just, they get instant respect. And then there's other people um, that think that they have authority and they really want the respect and so they try and really demand it. And it just doesn't really work. It doesn't really add up. The only way authority really works well is when it's someone that is uh, humble, doesn't have much of an agenda, and it's kind of like they don't need to tell everybody about themselves. It's just really recognized. And so Jesus painted that picture of authority really well. And we've talked about it before that when he was giving his Sermon on the Mount, which we already finished reading, 
They heard this new message they've never heard before. And they heard it in a way they've never heard before. And the Bible says it was with this authority, like he just, he just knew it. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus and his authority in several examples. We've already seen it last week, his authority over disease and how he could heal it no matter what it was, no matter who it was. And today we're going to see his authority over nature. And then we're going to see his authority over the spiritual realm. So we take a look at that. He covers really all the bases here. Uh, and so that's some of the stuff uh, we're going to cover uh, and take a look at today. So let's start in Matthew 8, verse 23. It says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then if you could, flip on over to where you have your other marker there. And Mark 5, we'll go over there. It says, uh, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasens. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported in this town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had, been, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home, tell your family, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So kind of a crazy story with what we close up here. You know, you start off where they're uh, in this boat, and Jesus says, 
hey, listen, we need to get to the other side. Because he had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. There's a ton of people there. And it wasn't his time yet to really um, be established. They wanted to establish him as king over them. They wanted to hurry up and rush in, put the robe on him, put the ring on him, and say, hey, listen, you're going to lead our country. And he's like, that's not exactly why I'm here right now. I'm really here right now to take away the sins of the world. Pay that debt first. That's my will. Later on, I will come and establish my kingdom here on earth. And so he wanted to leave the crowds because he didn't want to be made king yet. And so he heads on, gets in a boat, heads on over to the other side. While he's in the boat, uh, says that the storm uh, comes very quickly. He's sleeping. They start panicking. They go over to him, hey, you know, what's going on? Are you going to do something about this? You know, we are afraid. This could be the end here. And he says, you know, I told you we're going to the other side. Like, why didn't you just believe me? We're going over there. And he says, you guys, you know, have some small faith. And what does he do? He says, peace. And he says, quiet, be still to everything. And then it just calms down. And then when he, once he gets there, there's another adventure where he encounters this guy who is demon-possessed, which we'll talk more about for sure. And this guy comes up to him, and uh, he's probably not a, not a large guy. And he's really by himself, kind of out among the tombs, the graveyard, and he spends his time really isolated because nobody wants to be near him. They can't even get near him. He's too strong to try and chain him up. He just breaks him off. And he cuts himself and injures himself. And then Jesus encounters him, and then he has a conversation with this demon that's inside of him. Then he tells them to get out, and then he jumps into some pigs, and then it runs down a hillside. So this is like, does this happen to you every day? Because it doesn't happen to me every day. So I don't know how people can actually relate to this in 2012. And so what are we going to pull away from it? Where, where are we going to go with this? Well, I think that's really, I came with at least four observations. Uh, certainly, one, storms are coming. That's for sure. We'll talk about that. Uh, two, Satan has a plan for your life and for my life. Three, it's really an unfair fight between Satan and Jesus. And then four, the contrasting responses that happens here in this story. So let's take a look at the first one. Storms are certainly coming. That's what we started off with, right? The storms. The storms are certainly coming. And that was verse 23 through verses 27. They're definitely going to come. And, you know, if you live in Connecticut, uh, you know, and in the Valley, we've had a lot of quote-unquote storms, you know, recently. The last one was a real dud. I mean, on the radar, it looked so intimidating, and they were going crazy on the news. And it was one of the few times Julie and I were uh, running around the house, like, checking flashlights and checking batteries and getting things ready. Like, we, we never really do that. But I don't know. We got caught up in it, I guess, and it looked pretty bad. And uh, it turned out really to be nothing. Um, but storms certainly come around here, right? And they were certainly came right where they were. But uh, as a metaphor, storms also certainly come in our lives for sure. Storms definitely come. And if we're a Christian, um, a lot of times it seems like sometimes they come even more often. If we want to make a faith in God, if we're trying to make strides to like give our lives over to God and give Him that control of it and submit to Him, it seems like more storms, more trials, more temptations, more difficulty seems to combat that. 
And so within those storms, we have a response that we could do. And it might seem like a lot of times, Jesus is just sleeping. And I think that's like where we can definitely relate. Where the storms come up, they come up sudden. You don't really see them coming. And then when they do come, it's like Jesus is just like taking a nap, not paying attention, could really care less. And I think we can definitely relate to that. And so as soon as I read that, the question I think about is, will this storm, will this difficulty, will this trial bring paralyzing fear where I'll just like freeze and just be afraid and then not want to go one way or the other? Is it going to like bring a horrible you know, doubt? Is it just going to send me in a whirlwind of just negative thoughts and attitudes? And we're talking about storms here, like, like trials and true difficulties. Uh, and so Perry shared before about her, I mean, you'd really call it like a breakthrough is what you would call it. Where she actually, you know, 30 years, she was saying, you know, believer in Christ. And then she just had a fresh, profound taste of how much God actually loves her. And like, we can only be like, that is awesome, praise God for it. But she like, it actually happened to her. Like she owned it. And so much of Christianity is just, you know, soaking in. We think that if we just know a lot, like we know God. Not exactly. Like do we actually, can we experience it? Do we know His heart? Like is it a part of us? And so we're talking about storms. Like when you are frustrated, you have no place else to go. It seems like things are just getting worse. It seems like the more you even try and reach out to God, it just is getting worse. And it seems like there's really nothing good in sight. We're talking about like real storms, trials in life here. So I think one you know, question somebody has to ask right away is, why? You know, why would God even let you know, the storms really come about? Why? Well, I think there's probably a bunch of reasons. And for each person in their situation, it's probably specific. Um, but in general, uh, God's idea of happiness and our idea of happiness are not exactly the same. God is really more concerned with our holiness instead of our happiness. He'd like to see us happy, be blessed, and enjoy life for what it is, and He really knows us and what the best life would be for us. And He knows that we would actually enter into that when holiness is at the center of it. And I think and I believe that He creates situations to where it will bring us to that place where we become holy, sanctified, or in the Bible kind of tells it as being refined, where it burns off all of the other stuff and we just get to the root of really what's going on. And so many times in these storms, we just come to a place where it's just, I, I can't research this anymore. I can't ask any more questions about it. I just, there's nothing else I can actually do. I'm at the end of myself. I'm at the end of my rope. God, what are we doing? Of course, nobody's probably been in that spot, right? I mean, those are those places that, like, we're talking about here. 
so then the question is, us as Christians, are we going to be paralyzed with fear and just kind of freeze there and stop and just stay in it and just talk about how bad it is and how nothing thing seems to be getting better and how things seem to be getting worse and kind of mope around and then be depressed and let overtake? Or, like the Casting Crown song, you know, are we going to praise you in this storm? That's a tough, tough thing to do. So the question really is, like in those storms, what is your, what is my, what is our anchor? We need an anchor in the storm, for sure. And what is it going to be? And I think the Christian Sunday school answer would be Jesus, right? Everybody say, Jesus, Jesus, right? That should be the answer. But the answer really is whatever we have gone to before. That whatever pattern is set up, and you might be proud of it, and you might not be so proud of it. The Sunday school answer is Jesus. I should run to Jesus. I should pray to Jesus. I should ask others to pray with me to Jesus. Like I should, that's who I should, that should be my anchor. I hope it is. But you know yourself and you know when the rubber hits the road and when things get extremely difficult and when you come to the end of yourself and you got nothing else left, is that actually the case? For a lot of people, for most of us, I think that when things get stressful, difficult, we usually, we tend to run to things that give us some sort of comfort, make us feel a little bit better. And sometimes those are some negative bad things, right? And so some people certainly run to drugs. Some people certainly run to alcohol. Some people, like some men, married men, run to the computer. What is it? Like we will run to things that will give us some kind of comfort, make us feel a little bit better, somehow to kind of vent out of this thing. And so in that storm, like, where are we going? What are we doing? What is your pattern? I don't know what your pattern is. I know what my patterns are. And I know what my pattern is. And I know what i got to fight against. And I know I need help fighting against with it. And uh, if I try and do it by myself, it just doesn't come out very successful. Never really has. I need other people alongside with me. And invite them into this. But each of you, all of us, I mean, we have our certain patterns and things set up to where we got these other kind of like, you know, anchors that are made out of styrofoam that like we throw out that we think are working and like they're just not. And if we really get honest with ourselves, then we'll really start to see what's going on. Because at the center of this, Jesus said, he said, hey listen, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He says, then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so central to this storm, central to it, the cornerstone part was the faith element. The cornerstone to it. He said, listen, I told you we're going to get to the other side. We're going to get there. Like, we still got work to do. We're not going to die. Like, this isn't the end here. And that's where they were. I mean, it was a serious storm. So, like, you know, you watch a movie like Perfect Storm. You know, you, you watch that or you watch Deadliest Catch or these kind of shows. Real deal storms. They're afraid this could be the end. So he's like, no, I told you, we're, we're heading over there for right now. But it looked really bad. And it created some doubt. 
And then they were just stuck in that. And so for us, hopefully, that faith part, that trusting in God, can be our anchors. And so as we move on, we're going to talk about um, the rest of this whole demon thing in a minute. Um, as we move on, think about this one question as we kind of read, because uh, the disciples close up and they say, geez, who is this guy? Like they didn't really know what was going on. So think about this question as we go on. It says, do I have more in common with the demons or more in common with the disciples? Do I have more in common with the demons or do I have more in common with the disciples? I think it's a good question. It might not sound like it makes too much sense. But I think as we finish, it'll make a little bit more sense. So we have four observations we wanted to talk about. Storms are coming. That was the first part. They're definitely coming. You know, more thunderstorms will be here in Naugatuck. You know, we'll experience more stuff. But in life, storms are definitely coming. And we've said it before that it's not, you know, are they going to come? It's more like, when are they going to come? When? When are they going to be here? Because they're certainly coming. And then the question is, what's your anchor going to be? What has it been before? So, second part. Second observation. Satan's plan for your life. Satan's plan for my life. Because he's got a plan. God also has a plan. But Satan's got a plan too. And they're radically different. So let's check it out. So let's go back to Mark. So we're pretty much done with Matthew. We'll flip over to Mark. And again, the same story is in Matthew. But I, I kind of like the way Mark is talking about it. So in more detail. It's uh, taking a look at some things that will help us. So Mark 5. Satan's plan for your life. Verses 1 through uh, verses 5. It says they went across the lake to the region. Right? They made it across the lake. They made it through the storm. Jesus calmed it all down. To the garrison. It says when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit, some Bibles say unclean spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So here's the first part. Here's Jesus' an encounter with this guy. With an evil spirit, unclean spirit, demon possessed. And so he frees there for a second. Um, most people do not really have experiences with demon possession to where they could really recognize it and so they would just dismiss it and say well it was really more for that Bible time and it uh, doesn't really happen you know now I mean we have advances you know in the medical field for sure we can diagnose certain things we can help people out and so it doesn't really happen anymore and so that's obviously a question like you know does it happen? Can it happen? Is it real? And I think in your bulletin, I put it in there, that's your bonus question, right? There's always those questions in your bulletins. I hope you notice them. Right? It's to get the juices flowing, it kind of gets your brain headed in the direction of where we're studying and what we're talking about. And so I think the bonus one was, you know, do you believe in demon possession? We had an atheist here, right? I think this would be huge for an atheist. Because if we're talking with an atheist here, and... Uh, you know, let's say we take him to Brazil or somewhere, and we'll talk about why these other countries seem to matter. Take him to Brazil, and some guy like approaches us, and you know, he's like, if 
foaming at the mouth or chained up and acting totally out of his mind. And then he responds back, but it's like weird conversation going on. And then for some reason, the name of Jesus frees this guy up, color comes back to his face, he looks like right in his mind again. Something happened with the name of Jesus and with prayer going on there. I would love to see the atheist response in that case. Right? The atheist loves to get bogged down and locked up into these logical, analytical arguments in a lot of places where the Bible maybe is unclear. And that's like where they live. But I wonder if they had the whole story, what they might do and what might actually happen to them. But anyways, if it's in the Bible... What I do is I believe it in faith that it actually happened. Does it happen now? I don't know. We'll take a look at it in a minute. But I believe in faith that it could happen and at least has happened in this case for sure. And I see if that has happened in this case, I get a glimpse as far as what Satan's plan is for my life. What he would like to do with me. He would like to have control over me, all of me. He wants to control this. He wants to control my wife, control my family. He wants to control that. He wants to isolate us, keep us by ourselves, and just have his way with us. Not involve other people in the mix. He'd like to fill us with fear. And he'd like to just destroy us. That's what he would like to do. Control, isolate, fear, destroy many times painted as freedom and experiences and an opening of your mind and that's not the whole story that's not the whole story I think I have do we have John 8 up there where Jesus actually describes Jesus describes what Satan is really like this is Jesus' opinion on the devil and on Satan. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> and he's saying this to like the Pharisees in that day. So he's not making a lot of friends. But he um, says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so he wants to destroy and take away. So if Satan is real, this is what he's like. And we can see it right here in this passage. So does it exist today? Does it happen? Well, I did some homework this week. And I've heard stories and things before. Um, just from being around church circles and pastors. Um, you'd think that this stuff you know, never really happens, but... If you're around the people, if you're around the circles, if you take the time to listen, uh, it's there. It's certainly there. Um, we've talked about this group before, Gospel for Asia. A uh, guy, K.P. O'Hannon, heads it up, and he, their ministry really focuses on India and um, Asia, and then just the whole window right there. Just billions, with it be, billions of people. Many just never even heard of this guy, of Jesus, of a Bible, of anything like that. And so there's this guy, read your story. This guy, Umed. This was 2010, October 4th, 2010. Tell me, this does not sound very similar. It says, chains held Umed down. Chains. That's where we start off with, right? Chains. 
And there's, a, there's like a million other stories, but I chose this one in particular because it's very similar to ours. Chains held Umed down. They were the only things that worked to tame the 17-year-old boy when demons took control of his body and gave him unnatural strength. Sounds familiar, right? Umed had chains wrapped around him when Gospel for Asia-supported missionary Ayman Patel met him. Ayman immediately knew the source of Umed's suffering and felt moved to share the gospel with his family. When he did, he helped them understand that Umed's condition could be healed only through prayer and belief in Jesus Christ, who has the power, or we would say authority, right? Because we're talking about authority today. Who has the power to deliver people. Umed's parents received the word Ayman shared with them. And they asked the missionary to pray for their son's healing. Ayman and two women missionaries committed to prayer and fasting for Umed. And through their persistent intercession, Umed was freed from his bondage. It says, Umed's family and even the villagers were astonished to see the transformation. He began attending Ayman's church fellowship, but his parents were hesitant to join out of fear of what their community and relatives might think. And probably what ultimately what they might do. I mean, they could really kill him. Ayman and the women missionaries frequently visit Umed and his family, continuing to pour out God's love and share his word with them. They ask for prayer for Umed's family to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So unless Gospel for Asia is a bunch of liars, and they have like about, I don't know, couple hundred thousand stories where they've lied really well with a lot of details with a lot of different people then it might be true right and I'm gonna say that it is true I believe that it is and certainly it is happening so if that stuff is happening and it is around what is it all about what is going on isn't it like is it here is it in America the stuff happen I don't know. I wonder what would happen, you know, if we went up to Hartford, you know, at the mental hospital up there, and I wonder what the name of Jesus and some prayer and fasting might do. I don't know. Might do something. I thought you might be interested in hearing um, from someone who has, like, a lot of experience with this. Um, maybe you're not. Are you interested? Yeah. So, I have an interview uh, with a guy who, and this was in 19, I think this interview was in 1955, okay, and he was a missionary, and this is coming from a group of missionaries, where basically it's a compilation of a bunch of ministries, who, missionaries, who went all over the world, so like Colombia, India, Africa, just, and what it is, it's just a compilation of their experiences. And uh, somebody, I don't know who, uh, probably this publisher, uh, took all of them and put it together in a little pamphlet to give people a better understanding as far as like, you know, demon, demon possession and what this stuff is all about. What does it look like? Are there common patterns? Are there things to look out for? Um, what is really going on? And uh, in this book, there's a ton of stories. And one of the stories is an interview um, with... Uh, this guy, they call him Mr. Daniel. And um, I'll read you a, a couple of Q&As from it, just so you can get a little bit of an idea of what it's about. And if you'd like to read more on it yourself, you can certainly do it. It's called, uh, you can look it up later this week if you want. It's called Demon Experiences in Many Lands. Demon Experiences in Many Lands. You can check it out. 
Um, but anyways, it says, uh, Mr. Daniel, who's the oldest and most experienced, he's going to speak first. Uh, so the question was, have you ever seen a person possessed with demons? And so this guy, Mr. Daniel, says, yes, hundreds of them. And countries where there are idol worship and spirit worship. It is not difficult to find people who are possessed with demons. China and India are among the worst places for this. So then a follow-up question was, you know, how can you recognize this? Well, he says, in his experience, in India, more women are possessed than men. Those who bring them tell us that they are demon-possessed people. In our meetings of revival types, those with demons come out as in the times of Jesus. Either they shout, they cry, or they weep aloud, or they fall down. Sometimes they are violently shaken and they move their heads back and forth. These and other signs tell us that they are demon-possessed. And so the Q&A was like, well, what do you do about it? How do you handle it? It says, we rebuke the demons in the name of Christ. I have a number of assistants who attend to this work of casting out demons. When the assistants are not available, I attend to them. And so the question was, do the demons come out promptly? So they come out right away. So like you just come up to someone, you know, you pray for them. Uh, you know, where do you put your hands? What do you say? How do you do it? Does it come out right away? How does it all work? Is there a formula? So the answer says, in most cases, they come out promptly. But the one who uses the name of Christ must be strong in faith, clean in heart, with a pure conscience. One ought to be very careful about his own personal faith and character. Some do not come out promptly. Some do not. And there are several stories I read in here where it's like, it could take a day, two days, three days, where they're like fasting and praying over this person to see them be set free. It says there are different types. If there are many demons, they won't come out quickly. Many demons. We're going to get to that in our story, right? He just said, for we are many, right? They won't come out quickly. Sometimes they are a legion. They give much trouble. And this guy says, I remember casting out 40 devils from one girl. When we don't have sufficient time and the relatives to hide facts, right? Sometimes they don't have enough time. Sometimes the family won't be totally honest about the experiences of these people because they're probably embarrassed by it. The demons do not come out. But these are a few, these are very few cases where this happens. And then uh, I'll just read you one last part. And there's a whole big thing here, but just the last part I'll share. So it says, Do the demons tear the person or hurt them in any way? It says, Some fall down and go through violent contortions. They kick. They strike their heads against the floor. Sometimes they attack the person who is driving them out. But one must be cautious. Some will run away, fall into a pit or water, and then we send people to follow them to prevent danger to life. And then one other interesting question. I lied. One more. So does this ever happen to Christians? And he says, yes, sometimes very nominal Christians. Interesting, interesting stuff. So then once you start hearing about that, and reading about that, it kind of like puts like things in a different perspective. Where actually there actually is like something going on here. Maybe we can't see it or feel it that well, but something's going on for sure. There's a real battle and a real intense situation taking place. And Satan's desire, and you can tell from all that in there, is control, isolate, destruction, fear, anxiety. These are things that he uses and he wants us to live in. 
And it's not from God. We don't have to live in that. And we can take the authority of Jesus and have people pray with us and set us free from that for sure. So the first part we said storms are definitely coming. The second part we said Satan's plan for your life. Here's a third observation. It's an unfair fight. Let's take a look. Verse 6. It says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. This is a water shirt of pigs is feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, let us go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I thought about like entitling the message like Pig Demons. Sounds like that could be like a band name, you know, some crazy band could do that. And then the other thing I was thinking of too, I was like, man, is my dog possessed by the devil? Because I guess animals could be possessed. So, but little Dutchie, nah, she's not possessed. But it's interesting, Jesus has this conversation with him. And if you read through the stories in the article, they have conversations with them. And we asked our question before, you know, do I have more in common with the disciples or more in common with the demons? The disciples were like, who is this guy? He could do this. He has a story of different nature. The demons were like, Jesus. And look at the way they refer to him. They refer to him here. They say, son of the most high God. They know right away what they're dealing with and they're not playing around. Because they know this is totally an unfair fight. Jesus could just have his way and do anything he wants with them right now. And they said, what, you're here now to torture us? Because they know the end that's in sight. Because for Satan, his demons, his whole entourage, the end for them, they end up burning forever in the lake of hell. That's how it ends. And they know it. And they know that their time here is short. And so they're trying to get as much done with my family, with you, with our lives, the people around us. That's their mission for right now. And so they're saying, what, you're going to do this now before the time is up? And Jesus said, get out of him. And then they respond and they say, my name is Legion. And so Legion, you know what that means? Because uh, uh, a Roman Legion was usually 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. And they break it down to send, uh, centurions, which is about 100 groups of 100. And so Legion, 4,000 to 6,000, if we're saying... This guy had, you know, thousands of demons inside of him. Like, this is craziness. Craziness. You could imagine the strength he must have possessed. Nobody could get near this guy for good reason. And we saw in that quick interview that somebody said, oh, one time there was 40 of them. You know? And I must have just kicked his butt and the people praying with them must have kicked their butts. They must have been exhausted. But thousands, he said, just get out. And then they asked, can we go somewhere? Which is interesting. Right? These demons, they don't like to just sort of, I don't know, be around in the air and float around. For whatever reason, they like to like inhabit our bodies for some reason, which is weird. I don't know what that's about. But it's interesting. You'll find that that's what happens. So it's totally an unfair fight. And they know it. It's like the playground bully. You know, like when you're in school and then there's the threat of the fights. And... Uh, 
you know, you see, you know, one guy who's like, he could probably hold his own. There's another one, you know, with the fighter, like, you know, he's with his friends and he's got the big mouth. He's like, stand right here. Yeah, you want to go right now? You want to just stay right there. You want to do this right now? You know, so they're talking and they're trying to like, you know, get this thing going. But they know that if this thing were to really go down, they are in trouble and they better run, right? It was recognized right away who Jesus was. The authority of Jesus is unquestionable. And in the very end, when there's like the final battle scene, right, you have the rapture, you have the returning of Christ. At the very end, when Christ returns, and He comes, and the scene is amazing, and He comes on His thigh, He's got this tattoo of who He is, comes in a robe, dripped with blood, He's got a sword coming out of His mouth. I mean, it is intense, and He is coming, and He finds Satan, and He finds the Antichrist, essentially, takes Him, throws Him in the fire, done deal extremely anticlimactic because it's not even close it's not it's like I was in oranges it's just not even close at all and these demons knew it they respected his, his authority and I think like us like we could recognize Jesus' authority but I don't know how many of us actually respect it a lot of times because if we respect it we actually know who Jesus is and what he might be saying and we would actually live our lives to reflect that. So how many of us recognize and respect? So here's the final observation. The contrasting responses. So we had that the storms are coming. Satan has a plan for our lives. It's definitely an unfair fight. And then this last part, look at the way this thing ends. This is, this is kind of crazy to me. Contrasting responses. So verse, we'll pick up verse 14. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. So this is like their business. These are their pigs. They're not happy about this, and they're probably amazed too. It says, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. You have these two contrasting responses. On the one hand, you have this group of people where it's like, you need to get out of here. I don't know what's going on. It's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Then you have the owners of the pigs like, that was my business, you know. Get out of here. Like, be done with this. I, I, we don't want you here. Not really welcome. This is getting way too weird for me. And then the other response is you have the guy who just can't stop telling his parents, his family, his friends about it. Two contrasting responses. Why? Well, I believe that when Jesus shows up on the scene and he makes a splash or he becomes central in some way and we surrender our lives to him and we try and put him at the center, he shakes things up a lot. He's going to like restructure all of our priorities. He's going to take certain friends away we used to have, fill in other friends. He's going to take away 
other things we thought were important and fill them in with things that we know are important because he's showing us. He shakes things up. I don't hang around with the same people I used to just for that very reason. It just doesn't hang out. We don't have a lot in common. We just can't really hang out. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just different. And so when he was shaking this up, it was too much for some people. Oh, wait. This is costing... This is way too uncomfortable. I don't really like it. I mean, they're seeing the truth. Like, it's right in front of them. Anybody see The Matrix? You ever see that? So the Matrix. So you have the scene in The Matrix. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but basically The Matrix is, it's like, there's this world, okay? And then there's like this other world where like it tells you the truth about this world. There's you go. The Matrix, done in three seconds. And so what happens is he has this scene with a guy sitting there, and he has an option. He's being confronted by people that like know the truth. And so he's sitting there, and there's two pills. There's a red pill, there's a blue pill. And the guy says, listen, you have a choice. He said, if you take, I think it's the blue pill. If you take the blue pill, I can see what's really going on. If you take the red pill, you know, you'll go back to sleep, you won't remember any of this. So you actually want to see what's going on. So the guy says, well, he takes the blue pill. And then he sees what is actually going on. And then he lives in it. And he kind of sees how ugly and just, uh, you know, gross and just how disgusting, like, the way things developed. And it got to a point where one of the other people that has also taken the blue pill before, they've seen it and they're just like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of this. This is horrible. They couldn't handle it. So he asked this guy, I think his name was Cypher. So this guy Cypher, he goes to the people that kind of control everything and they say, listen, I took the blue pill. It was a mistake. I, I don't want to be part of this. He said, listen, uh, I'll betray them. I'll betray them. I'll give you anything you want. Just make it so I don't remember any of this. I just don't want to know it. And this is like these, these people here. They saw Jesus. They saw His power, His authority. They saw the real deal, the ugliness of Satan, how He wants to control and destroy. They saw it right in front of them, what's really going on. And for some of them, it was too much. I don't want it. I don't want it. I wish I never took the blue pill. I don't want to see it. And so for some of us, Jesus has made it plain. I don't know for you, for me. He's, for me, He's made it plain. And I'm responding in a way to I'm like, okay, I'm going with you. I don't know what it's going to cost me or where we're going, but I'm going with you, Jesus. But for some people, they've been shown what Jesus is and what He wants to do with their life and their families, and they say, no, 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 no. That's not right. No, I don't want to do that. Too uncomfortable. You can like move on over there. Like That's not really for me. That's the response of the town. But then there's the other side of the person that was touched by Jesus and gave all of themselves to Jesus and had a real interaction with Jesus and they can't shut up. They're telling everyone. They're telling everyone because they met with Jesus. And so that's what I want to close with today. Like, do we need a fresh meeting encounter with Jesus? Or are we right there and our mouths are going? What is our response like? What would it be more like? Are we more like the demons? Where they actually respect and recognize who Jesus is? Or am I like the disciples who are like, who is this guy? I don't know. I don't really know him. I sort of know a little bit about him, but I don't really know him. And the good news is, is once we do know Him, that 
hope that is there because he has authority over disease, he has authority over nature, authority over this. Heavenly realms, it's over everything. And it might seem pretty scary in those storms, but that hope and that peace will be there for sure. And so what we'll do is we'll stand. Uh, we have one song that we'll close with. And I would encourage you while the song is playing to just ask God if um, you need a fresh new encounter. Or where, where is your anchor? How about those patterns that you have? Do they need to be changed? And so uh, as the song is playing, I would encourage you to pray that and then we'll come back together and then we'll close in prayer.